0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Good morning, church. I do love my second service people. Uh, This morning, my four-year-old, sometime around 4 a.m., was running through the banshee, like through the house. I could use the bathroom or something. He scared the crud out of me, so I never went back to sleep after that. I was up and going, and preaching too, like my mind was racing, um, so I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and so if you're new with us this morning, I'm not always the one that preaches. We have Corbin, he spoke last week, Gary's going to speak next week, um, so I don't always get the opportunity, so sometimes I get nervous a little bit, you know, public speaking is a little nervous. Um, but at the same time, like I am very honored today that I can bring the Word of God to you. Um, my prayer is that I can do it justice. Um, so what we're doing right now is we're looking through the book of Galatians. So last week, Corbin started off with the Galatians chapter 1. And so one thing I hope, though, is throughout the, the next uh, few weeks, is that you feel like you almost hear the same thing over and over and over again, especially with this book that this letter that Paul wrote to Galatia, is that he's really making this case about what the, the gospel to the Gentiles look like. And so these, these themes that keep popping into it, like unity and justification and grace and what the gospel is, that you should hear over and over and over again. Like you don't hear just me the whole time saying the same thing over again, but you have another perspective next week with Gary coming. And so... I think one of the good places to start with is the idea of like what is the word gospel. So if you were in that time period, right around this, like forty A.D., like you would have, um, so the the Roman Empire would send out a gospel, which is called good news. That was their good news. So you'd be very familiar with the idea of what the the gospel is, what the good news is, but the Christian gospel compared to the Roman gospel is quite different. But there is a similarity, if you read through some of the the Roman good news, proclamations they sent out, was the idea of peace. So Rome was saying, this Caesar, this empire, this emperor um, is coming, like is bringing peace to the world through violence, through the sword. That as Roman Empire grows, as we conquer the people around us, as we... Take them on and make them part of our own. Is that we're going to bring peace to the world? The gospel of Christ is a still idea of bringing peace, but it's through peace from what death on the cross through sacrifice. How that peace comes about looks way different than Rome is saying. So that we have this word gospel that that the people of that time are very familiar with. But so when we look at Galatians. We get this idea of, like, okay, there's going like to be a gospel of Peter, there's a gospel of Paul, there's a gospel to the circumcised, there's a gospel to uncircumcised. So some of the part of the question is, what is, like, the main aspects of the gospel? If I was to have you, like, write down in your own idea of what is the gospel in your own words, I'd be curious what comes up for you. That in a lot of ways, as brothers and sisters in Christ, like, our foundation of what the gospel is should be very similar. And one of the arguments that Paul is making that I'm going to lean towards is the idea of that our gospel should be a gospel of grace. That's where we all start. And so we're going to look through chapter 2 of Galatians, and we're going to be able to look at what Paul is trying to argue for and why he's trying to do it. Uh, So one thing I do love about Galatians is we are who we are today because of what Paul did. The idea of us being in this church, we're basically I think we're all Gentiles here. Like we don't come from a like a Judaic background. Maybe some of us do. I don't know. But most most of us don't. But we were able to worship the, the way that we do because of what Paul did. And so as I was sitting on the couch reading through some commentaries, eating a piece of bacon. I wasn't doing it on purpose. But I was like, Oh, thanks, Paul. Like I can eat this bacon and I can be okay with God. Like if Paul didn't succeed in what he did, the way that we would practice our faith probably would look a lot different. And Paul would say it's underneath more slavery that we would practice, and so we have more freedom, and what does that freedom look like for us? So let's go ahead, and if you, wanted, if you brought your Bible to me, you can follow along, I'll be up on the screen here, but let's look at Galatians 2. My plan is kind of going to read through, take a break, talk about a few things. Um, and then kind of move on to the whole book. Uh, as we do this, we're basically all of us are walking through, hopefully, all the verses within Galatians, which is hard because there's things like, oh, I'm not sure how to say that, but walking through a book of the Bible is that we're forced to have to talk about things. Like, it's good for us. We only to have to talk about different aspects of the Bible. We can't just skip around to, like, what we feel like we want to talk to. Um, so hopefully you can come up with me and. Um, let me just go ahead and open us up in prayer. Um, I, I need it this morning. Lord, we come to you to learn from your word, um, that your word is life, that your spirit of God brings us life. So Lord, I ask today that with what is said, what is done, Lord, that honors you and it glorifies your name, that we walk away with what you want to teach. So Lord, I pray that your people pull out what they need in their lives that we can take this old scripture, these old thoughts, but also apply it today in our own lives. Lord, I pray that as a, as a church, as a group, that you direct our path and guide us. Please be with us. Please be with me in my words, in your name. Amen. So we can follow along with me. And so, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up, against, or went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, we, who slipped in to spy at our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus... So that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in sum- submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So it's been 14 years since Paul was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself is very important. For like our American mindset, our American idea is we lose you don't always appeal to authority. Part of us is that we fight against authority in some way, we fight against the man. It's kind of who we are somewhat as an American. But for that mindset of the time, like for those that look at Jerusalem, Jerusalem was like the epicenter of decision-making, what directions that things came out of Jerusalem. So for Paul to start making his case, he really has to rely on the idea of those from Jerusalem, these people, these leaders of Jerusalem, like have to be going along what Paul is trying to do. Because if they don't agree with what he's doing, this gospel to the Gentiles, is like he says in here, he's going to run a race in vain. Like There's going to be too much conflict. So why, why move forward when there's going to be so much conflict going on within the fellow believers? It be like this. Like, Paul's out preaching to the Gentiles and someone becomes saved and knows who Christ is. And then more people show up. Now this is how you have to live your life. And Paul's saying, no, you don't have to live this way. Like, that's... There's tension there. So there's no unity within it. So as Paul's coming, he's trying to bring like unity in the gospel. It's like, can you guys give me the stamp of approval for what I am doing, this revelation that God gave me? This is the way I should be speaking, this is the way I should be doing. So in this passage, we also introduce to like different people groups. So in our contemporary idea is we have when we think of Judaism, we think of Christianity, we think of two different religions, Judaism and Christianity. It wasn't until about 40 to 80 years after this book was written that we really get a separation of those two as two separate religions. So those in this time period who have looked at, you have Judaism, and then you have a sect of Judaism that believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Kind of them. So we have those that the false brothers, those, those who have seen that were the Jewish people that didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. And you have people like Paul, you have people like Barnabas, we introduced to James and other leaders that they would be Jewish people that believe that Christ is the Messiah. And then in this we're introduced to Titus, he was a Greek, so he'd be a Gentile, so he didn't follow the same Jewish laws, so he wasn't Jewish. So if part of the argument that some people are trying to make is like, hey, you know, you can believe this, this idea, of Gentiles, but you need to become a proselyte. You need to convert yourself to Judaism. So you need to start doing the laws, obeying those things, for you to be brought into what the community looks like. And we'll look at that in a little bit more um, coming up. But it's really important to know, like, hey, it's not two separate religions that are trying to fight against each other. It's the idea of Jewish people who believe that Christ is Messiah. How do these Gentiles now become part of God's people? What does that look like? Maybe you put yourself into, like, a place of someone who practiced Judaism at that time period. So for so long, your identity of who you are is based off of your ethnic group of following these laws. And now something totally different is happening. So these Gentiles are coming in to be considered brothers, but do they not follow what we follow? Like There's confusion in that. I don't think those that are of the circumcised party of these Jewish believers that are followers of Christ but see that Gentiles need to become just like them, I don't think they have bad intentions that they're evil people. Like, it's just really hard sometimes to wrap your mind around. Like, in your own life of, like, maybe there was a group in, like, a different denomination, or you're, like, Catholic, or uh, some other liturgical group that's very much more of, this is the rituals, this is what we do, and then you get involved in, like, a non denominational church, like, and uh, it's like, what, everything goes? Everything is okay? Like, you can show up in your pajama pants? That's fine? Like, I don't know about this. And so, even in that small kind of example, like, you see how, okay, like, okay, maybe they can struggle with this, and I can identify that it's okay that they're struggling with it. But at the same time, the leaders of the church need to figure out, okay, what does it look like for Paul to present this gospel to the Gentiles? What should be included, what shouldn't be included. And so Paul has this revelation from God to move forward of what it looks like, what should and shouldn't be included in that. So let's continue on in verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I saw who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So Paul and Barnabas were given the right hand of fellowship. So Titus, who they brought in, there was no conversation about making him circumcised. He was okay for who he was. The Jerusalem pillars saying that this is okay, and they gave Paul and Barnabas idea of right hand of fellowship, like, hey, it's like the seal of approval." Like, we're still in the same group. We're still part of the same belief system. You're still part of one of us. So we have fellowship together. We're not kicking you out. We're not separating at all. We are good. And so when this idea at the very end of the last verse there, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So the one thing that this Christian church, this Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. And asked Peter, like, he remember us. So the poor in this time would actually have been these followers of Christ in Jerusalem. So there was a famine going on in Judea, and prior to this famine, there was a lot of need within the church, and everybody gave what they had to make sure everybody was taken care of. But that material, the stuff that was provisioned, started to dwindle, and the famine hit hard. And so the group that was really struggling was the Christian Jews within uh, Jerusalem. And then I say, Paul, when you're out there preaching to the Gentiles and to these other churches, could you ask them to remember us? And Paul is like, Of course I will remember you guys. Like I want to do this. Remember last week Corbin talked about Paul was a Jew of the Jews. Like he came from this very Jewish background. Like he was not he was part of the circumcision group, not a believer yet, but when he became a believer, like he still loved his people. He loved his family, his community within Jerusalem. And so of course Paul's going to say, of course I remember you. So I'm out. And we see this throughout the other letters of Paul collecting money in order to help out these other believers. So that's all that really that these pillars of faith in Jerusalem asked Paul to do was, hey, don't, don't forget about us as you're going. Please remember us. And he says, I'll remember. So verse 11 But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Stop there for a second. So we have Peter. So if you're going to make a case about what the Gentiles should believe with the gospel of the Gentiles, so you have Jerusalem, but you also have the rock of the church. This is there's Peter. Peter, someone who walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus. And say, hey, okay, does Peter also believe what's going on? Because coming out of this conversation is Peter started to pull back to what he believed previously. So when you talk about eating with Gentiles, for us, we can go eat with anybody. You see, sit down at some random restaurant, eat someone. For the, that time period, eating with someone had a lot of meaning to it. It was basically saying that, hey, we're in the same belief. Like, whatever you do in your life, I'm saying that it's okay. I agree with it. Or, like, it's almost like the idea of, like, now you become family. And so there was a lot of, like, laws around, like, not to eat with Gentiles, not to eat something like a Gentile would make. Like, so for Peter, and I'm going to read through some of Acts 10 here in a moment, because Peter had this revelation from God about that it was okay to do this. My belief, though, is Peter still practiced Judaism. Like he still practiced the laws. We see it with Peter. We see it with Paul. Like they still had their Jewish identity. So I don't know if Peter went and started eating bacon and sulfur, like, like whatever else they ate that was non-kosher, shrimp or something like that, um, that he still followed his kosher laws, but he still was okay to sit and eat with this group of people and said, hey, you are part of my family Like, you're not separate from us. I accept you. So, if you want to turn with me to Acts 10, I'm going to read a little piece of this vision that he had. So, this vision here is like he was hungry, and then he had this vision of God giving giving him all these unclean things to eat. And he's like, hey, I've never eaten anything unclean, I've always followed the laws I was supposed to. And and God says, well, what was considered unclean, I've now made clean. So in verse 28, he, re, he uh, says this, And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, for I should not call any person common or unclean, that God was doing something new. How I like to look at it is something happened when Jesus was on the cross. Christ's sacrifice, and I look at the idea of the temple that was there. There was this curtain that covered place of the Holy of Holies, idea where the Spirit of God was at. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was split. That changed something that was going on there. And I think that God has always taught and always shown up in people's lives. And I don't know if God actually said, like, oh, these people are clean and these are unclean, these are unholy, these people are valued, these people are not valued. <clears throat> I don't think that was the case. I think God had early on given the Jewish people, like, you're going to be my people to the nations around you. But more and more for them to keep their Jewish identity, they hunkered in, they would not eat with Gentiles, they'd not associate with Gentiles, they'd not associate with other nations. That was kind of teaching, like, we have to make sure we protect who we're supposed to be. So in verse 34 and 35 of chapter 10, Peter continues with this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand, for God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. And then skip down to verse 44. So while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water baptizing from those people who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some time. So put yourself into this group of circumcised and seeing that now the Holy Spirit, God is coming upon these unclean people that you previously perceived as unclean. It changes everything. Because everything you kind of thought before is now different. But how can you argue with God? God's going to choose who God sees as clean and unclean. So the change that has to happen within is your own belief system of how we are doing things, that things are different now. I love that Paul came to Peter, because we all need a Paul in our life. Because I feel like I actually associate with Peter a lot sometimes. Like, I was, I've been in church like nine months before I was born. Like, I grew up within church. Like, I've been there the whole time. And I know these moments of where I know God is real. That Christ moved in my life. He showed up in a way that I There's no way I can doubt that God is real. But has my life always been like that? No. No, I have done things my own self, my own direction, take things in my own way. That we have these experiences, just like Peter had this experience about this vision that God gave, gave him. So Paul has to come back. And that's why I say we need a Paul in our life, because we need people in our life that's willing to step up and say, hey, I know that God loves you. I know that he has a good work in your life to do. You've got to knock it off what's going on. Because God already told you what you should do. You know what you should do. But we see something like Peter, who has this idea of fear of people. We see the fear of people when Jesus was taken away to be crucified on the cross, He's like, oh, aren't you the guy that traveled with Jesus? And he's like, nope, not me. see this again when the circumcision group comes to Peter and says, like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I don't know. Like, and backs away from the Gentiles, the Jews, the other Gentile believers, because he has a fear of people. Fear controls us so much. It could be fear of people. It could be fear of failure. It could be fear of whatever you put into your own words. Maybe it's a good to like, in the notes section of your your bulletin. Maybe ask the question yourself like, what how is fear controlling me right now? What in my life is I'm allowing fear to control how I want to live my life? How I know that Jesus called me to live my life? Has something come up and like it's taken me off course of the way I should be walking towards? Like, what thing I love about the scriptures? Is that we have these people in the Bible that aren't perfect. If I was to write this myself, like, especially Peter, I'd be like, I'm great, I'm awesome, I did everything right. But that's not the case. It's real people at a real time with their own real problems. Because we would say, oh, didn't Peter walk with Jesus? Certainly he have learned and grown. You know what? Through our life, sometimes we fall back. We fall back into bad patterns, bad habits. But Christ calls us out of it, and sometimes he uses people in your life to do that. So Paul approaches Peter and says, "Hey, you had this you know, you know what you 're supposed to be doing." So Peter's like, "Yes, okay, I made a mistake." So if you talk about this case that Peter, uh, Paul is making for this gospel that he 's taking to the Gentiles, so he has Jerusalem on board, he has these pillars of the faith of those in Jerusalem, and he has Peter. Like He's making a great case of what moving forward looks like. And so we'll pick it up here back in Galatians 2 verse 15 We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So by the way, the statement is probably something that was commonly heard that Jews would say at the time um, because if you say somebody who's a Gentile, you're always arguing, to assume that they're a sinner so it's like kind of redundant in that way so it's probably some sort of saying they had Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because of works of the law, no one will be justified. So it's kind of two important like words in here, or phrases, works of the law and the word justified. Uh, so I want to make sure I do this well. Because I think sometimes those that grew up in the church kind of get this mindset of like the law itself is what was like wrong and evil and slavery and stuff like that. When I think Paul is talking about the works of the law, I think he's talking about something else. So, how I think if you asked a Jew back then, if you asked a Jew now, a messianic uh, Jew today, you would get the idea of like they wouldn't believe that it's through the law that you're saved. Is it because we do all these things and we have to keep doing all these things in order for us to be saved? There'd be more the idea of, like, they were chosen by God, they were elect, that we started off our whole of who we are being saved because of the grace of God that we were brought in. And so, and also we look at it, like, individually. Like, a Jew would, like, have to follow the law so they they would be saved. No, they looked at it as a community. As a community that we follow Christ or followed God in order to maintain our salvation with him. So when we, like, if you have a look at this, the history of Israel, they followed and they stepped away and they followed and stepped away and brought back. And so this time period of when Paul is writing this, it's like, hey, we need to make sure we are cemented in and following the law so we don't step away from him, we don't follow, go back to what we don't go against who God is. The way it kind of looks like it is this. So if you get married, so you have... This wedding ceremony, this uh, con, like not contract, but this um, connection between the, your spouse, like we are now going to be a couple. You don't do things for your spouse in order just to stay married. Like you know, like now I'm married, I'm just going to do these things in order so I just stay married. You do them because you have a relationship with your spouse, because you love them, that you care about them. Like if your spouse asks you to do something. And maybe if you've been married long enough, sometimes you do things just because you want to keep them happy because it's easier that way. Like, it's real life, I'm sorry. It is the way it is sometimes. But and hopefully that's just not how everything is. Ideally, you do the things in your life for your spouse because you have a deep love for them and you want to have a relationship with them. I think in a lot of ways the Jews would look at the same way. Is like we believe we are God's people and we show it in our love to God by following these laws. And we do it because we care about God. So the works of the law, I think, can be seen in two different ways. One is that we follow the law, but we've added to the law itself in order for us to keep the law. So they've added all these extra things that you have to do. These, what we've maybe heard as, like, fences around the law to keep you from making sure you don't disobey that law. For example, if I was to say, like, as a community, we say, like, okay, we cannot lust anymore, that's your command, It's to not lust. So we can leave it there, or we can build some stuff around it. So the idea of, okay, well, maybe we all need to make sure that we dress modestly to help each other for not lusting. Or that uh, on all your personal devices that we need some sort of accountability software. Or that we need to wear blinders now so we can't look at the opposite sex at all so we just don't, in case we don't lust. We can add so much to that in order to make sure that we don't lust. But what is the, the first part of the law is the... That I hate not lust. It's not all these other things. So possibly the idea of works of the law to be brought into slavery is to make these Gentiles to like we have to do all of these, these things. I lean a little bit more to this other idea. Works of the law is more this idea of nationalism, like ethnic, like to be brought in and be part of who we are. So you have three things that really identify someone who's Jewish from the outside perspective: circumcised, um, food laws being kosher, and following the Sabbath. From the exterior standpoint, it's probably the three things. So if you think of these Jewish believers, ones that are circumcised, looking at these Gentiles, it's like, okay, now what do we do with them? Like, okay, for us to keep our identity of who we are, they should come in under the fold of us and start following the laws itself. And say, like, look like a Jew so the works a law for them they need to start looking like a Jew because it's not okay that they don't look like a Jew because if they don't look like a Jew who are we becoming we're supposed to be God's elect people now this thing is getting confusing is difficult and that is okay because that's what Paul is going to argue Noah like you want to hold on to your nationalism it's not about nationalism that's important it's about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and the grace that he gives so they'd be justified. Because I think you even look at, like, Samuel, so he was a priest, and when he dedicated the the temple, it's 1 Kings 10, I believe, uh, 8, so 1 Kings 8. He even says to his people, like, hey, we were all sinners, but God chose us, and we have to remember that. We hear the same words that Paul writes later on, hey, we're all sinners, that God chose us, He's the one that made things clean. It's not the law that made us clean. It's God who made us clean. So these Gentiles now consider that way. All right, let me finish reading up the rest of the passage. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be transgressor, for through the law I died to the law, so I might live in God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for his righteousness, or through the law, and Christ died for no purpose." I think one way to look at this, kind of no matter what, is this idea of legalism. This idea that if we just keep doing all the right things, that that's how we are justified. And Paul speaks against that. It's not how you are justified by keep doing the right things. It's always been Christ, the one that has justified. I think it's really common for humans to want to be certain. We want certainty in our life. Like if I give you like two options of like, hey, this passage you can take it this way or you can take it this way. Like Alex, why don't you just tell us the right way to think? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like what they at that time period, we don't have enough information given to us of what this actually meant. But we can have some, make some good ideas about it. So you can kind of land in these two different camps. Like we don't like that. Like just tell me exactly what I need to believe. Need so a I, kn- list. yeah, need a list exactly. Like just give me the list of like what I can check off to make sure I am okay so I can be certain with it. What I think about certainty that becomes very, very problematic is certainty has to come from ourselves. We have to make the steps towards certainty. It's what we believe. It's what we think is right. It's what we do. It's what I do. It's what I have to believe. It comes back to I, me. It's not come to Christ Jesus. I like this idea... That like sin has no control over Jesus Christ. In our life, sin does not have the last word; it does not have dominion of us. But in our own legalism, we have to, like this idea: of sin can be part of that. Like the worst thing we can do to someone that comes and believe in Jesus Christ is now okay. Now you believe in Jesus. Now you need to do this, 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 and this. I like I look at, like, like missionaries a while ago when they went like in the Amazon and they brought Jesus Christ, which is good. But then they also made people of that, like a village dress Western. Like we added to it. Like we do things differently today, thank goodness. But it's when we say it's like something becomes a follower of Christ, and what do we add to it? It's really good to recognize in our own life as you may be discipling someone or walking through or leaving, even looking at yourself, is what have I added to my faith? And if I added it to it, because I think we should have rituals. Like we're going to do baptism, we're going to do communion. There's rituals in our life that I think are add value, that are important, because it allows us to keep focused on what is important, what is meaningful. But when those things become, take place of idea of grace, it takes place idea of like, oh, I don't have to think about I'm no longer a sinner. I'm like, I'm okay now. Like, these are the things that give me my meaning is that we've lost what Christ has done for us. Sometimes we go like legalist side. I think sometimes we go on the other side too of like, I am dirt. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short, the glory of God. Like, we all are there. But the important part about what Christ did in grace is it doesn't matter what you have done, it doesn't matter of what you did yesterday, last week, that you have grace. And look at this message that Paul is taking to the Gentiles. It doesn't matter like if you're kosher or not kosher, it doesn't matter if you do Sabbath or not Sabbath. It doesn't matter if you do these things, because you can find grace in Christ. All you have to do is turn your life towards him to believe in him. What it means is you have purpose and you have value. That the God of the universe cares about you so much to be able to say to you, sin, destructive habits that you have in your life, don't have the last say over who you are. Because we can easily do that. We find those patterns all the time. Of like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm terrible. Like, I can't do these things that God wanted me to do because of these mistakes I've made. I think the idea of that we are crucified daily, we have to always continue to remind ourselves that we have grace in our lives, that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you can remember that I have grace today. I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to do my best. I'm probably, I might fail. I might make a mistake. I might have to wake up again tomorrow be crucified with Christ again to move forward again. But I can, and I can keep trying to move forward, I like the idea of just try. Like, just keep trying. Don't give up. Don't let sin have the last say. Don't let sin have the last word in your life. But you can keep trying. And hopefully, as you keep trying, you see purpose and meaning of your life. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube.